I want to be able to give people the opportunity to really build their own businesses, but build it successfully, as you said, from day one. So one of the things I'm dedicated to doing in 2021 is building systems and processes within my agency from A to Z, so I can replicate that and I can help other agencies succeed faster than I did. From Caribbean Ideas in Trinidad and Tobago, this is Uptick, a part of the Caribbean Innovation Content Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of Caribbean entrepreneurs and corporate innovators that are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that can not only impact the Caribbean world, but also have an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, and perhaps spark your next big idea. I'm your host, Chike Farrell. There have been times when I visited somewhere for the first time, like the first time I ever went to Hawaii. And as an island boy, that unique mix of island life and vibe, but also the feeling that you have all of the best of sort of a very developed country at the same time was pretty intriguing. And I was like, you know what, I should just move here. I think at the times that I've met people in Trinidad and Tobago or Barbados or elsewhere in the Caribbean who said something like, yeah, I came here to visit, loved it so much, I just stayed. And it's almost always British or Aussies, by the way, which says something about their adventurous spirit. But I've always loved the idea of that, of uprooting and just starting over, while also knowing that I personally was probably too much of a planner to like make a decision like that. But you know, they say that there's Caribbean people everywhere doing all sorts of things. And today's guest is one such example. She's a Caribbean entrepreneur, born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, who's ended up not in one of the common places you find our people like London, Miami, or New York, but rather in Israel. And you see, they say that if you can make it in a city like New York, you can make it anywhere. And that's no doubt true. But I'd say that if you're a Caribbean woman who has never done marketing before and is living in Israel where you don't speak the language and you go from that to having one of the most in-demand ad agencies, not just in the country, but you rise the global HubSpot agency partner charts as well, you might be one of those people who can make it anywhere too. Just like the philosophy of Caribbean Ideas, the company that I co-founded, Uptick is fundamentally about innovation. It's about taking the natural potential that we have as Caribbean people and blending it with the smarts, hunger and drive to turn that into global class influence and competitiveness. I love to encounter and share stories like Risa's. Anyone can learn from her energy, her willingness to evolve, and her ability to persevere against the odds. Let's learn more about today's guest, Risa Gooding. All right. Well, this is a very exciting day for for me, and I hope for you as the listeners to the Uptick Caribbean podcast. Um, I'm having a conversation today with Risa Gooding, who is uh, from Trinidad and Tobago, but comes to us from all the way in Israel. And, you know, they say that Trinis are everywhere, but, um, you know, I'm not sure that I know too many other Trinis who've uh, made it to Israel and spent as much time and done as many interesting things. So, Risa, amazing to have you. Very excited for the conversation. Of course. Thank you so much for inviting me. As I said to you, finally, I warrant your attention. So, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We've been, you know, for the, for the listeners, Risa and I, have been um you know social media pals for for the longest while and you know truth be told we've been supposed to talk and find some way to you know collaborate or do something interesting for for gosh i don't know how long mm-hmm. um but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work it into you know part <laughs> podcast and then we'll see where we'll see where that takes us from there so Teresa, what i would love you to do is um you know start by 
sharing kind of the the, the origin story. I, I think of all of these superheroes that I that I talk to um, and the stories that we want to tell about, you know, Caribbean innovators and people pushing the envelope. But tell us, you know, where you grew up, um, you know, give us a sense of, of your background on the path to, to now doing, you know, things that are interesting in Israel. Yeah, sure. So I'm from St. Joseph, you know, that town right next to Kirap. Um, I've lived there most of my life. Uh, my parents, are, my father is from Takarigua. My mother is from Flanagan Town. So she's a true country girl meets, you know, city man. <laughs> so we grew up in St. Joseph. I went to St. Joseph Girls RSC and then I went to St. Joseph Convent, St. Joseph. So I'm a total St. Joseph girl. I've never had to, I don't know the struggle of finding a taxi and a maxi taxi six o'clock in the morning to get a school. I've always walked to school all my life. So this is it, you know, um, after I finished high school I went to Jamaica I did my um, BSc in economics and statistics in Jamaica in Mona and then I did my final year in UEC St. Augustine and I was just telling you before your father was one of my professors actually at UEC St. Augustine so this was my journey and then how did I end up in Israel well let's hear that question when you do ask it <laughs> you know we're gonna go there for sure so you know I think one of the things that's interesting is that today you so you are also in the marketing and digital marketing space. So, but what was the journey to that, right? Because you ultimately are, as I understand, a co-founder of, of an agency um, in Israel. But but tell us a little bit about how, you know, the, the path from school and economics to, to, to that. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, honestly, you know, I've always realized that I did some kind of marketing throughout my life, right? You know, as a teenager, I was on head auto server in my church. So I had to, you know, do things to raise funds to buy us new robes if it was for the church you know my uncle is professor selwyn kudjo i was very involved in the app with him i did a lot of fundraising activities with him having to you know raise funds for different activities or advertise different initiatives that we had to do but really my passion for marketing was always there but i never thought i could have a career in it because i didn't see it you know as a viable career in the caribbean but when i moved to israel in 2007 I didn't speak Hebrew, so I couldn't get a job in speaking Hebrew. So the first thing I did really was to teach. I started off as a teacher. Um, I taught at the British International School. I was teaching math and uh, math, mathematics to um, the high schools and the junior schools. But then after a year of that, I realized, you know, teaching isn't for me because kids today aren't what they used to be of yesterday, right? They answer you back. They can hit you. They can do all sorts of incorrect things and they're never wrong. So I decided to leave that profession. And, you know, I was just looking for a job and I saw the opportunity to be an account manager, really, for an advertising firm in Israel. Now, why did I get that job is simply because most Israeli companies are targeting the United States of America as their target audience and they need native English speakers. So thankfully, I have native English. So this was my way in. And I started working there. So I worked there for eight years. And this is how my passion and knowledge for marketing actually developed. Yeah, I think that was actually one of the cool things. So I was like, wow, yeah, you know, and I, I, I never th- thought about it like that. I mean, because I, um, you know, operate in and have operated for a long time in the uh, in the technology industry and, you know, software industry. Yeah, there, there's a very healthy respect for, um, you know, Israeli technology companies, you know, even now. Probably most listeners, you're on YouTube, you're going to see ads from monday.com and, and other, um, you know, software platforms and ads out of Israel and so on. And, um, you know, it, 
business school, you know, very, very, very smart entrepreneurial Israeli um, folks in my in my class. So so it's really, you know, kind of cool because when I saw that, yeah, you know, one of the ways for, you know, immigrants in Israel to, to break in is to find careers where English is actually a strength and an advantage. And as you said, teaching was one, but marketing and advertising and, you know, helping take them to the to the countries and the markets that they really want is another. So that was that was really cool to see. So so backpedaling. So okay, so so what what took you to Israel in the first place? Well, what do we women ever do? We meet charming men like yourselves who actually promise us the world and, you know, lures us into these situations. So this was it. I met an Israeli guy back in Trinidad um, and we dated for a couple months and then he invited me to come to visit Israel. And I thought, okay, two week vacation, this is going to be cool. But that two week vacation has now turned into a 14 year hiatus. So yeah, look at that. Look at that. You know, I, always, I love that. You know, there, I remember going to um, to Hawaii, um, you know, back in the day, right, right after grad school. And I was like, man, you know, I wish I could just go all the way and just say, you know, what, I'm just going to pick up sticks and just like, just, just, <laughs> just, 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 just go, just, just, just live in Hawaii, you know, like uh, the, the idea passed uh, uh, fleetingly and then I, and then I let it go. But I always love to hear, I, I can't tell you how much I love to hear when people actually did it, you know, so that, that's super cool. So, you know, so, you, so, so tell us about um, your, your company and, and what you do now. Yeah, sure. So I am a HubSpot partner. I'm a digital marketing agency serving companies who use HubSpot. And HubSpot, for those of us who don't know, it's a marketing automation, rather a CRM platform because they are now repositioning themselves this year to be a CRM platform. So what they most startups in Israel, like 70% of startups in Israel, actually use this platform to manage their marketing and sales. So I came across this platform mostly because when I was doing that marketing advertising job, um, I was looking for ways to bring in leads for them. And, you know, HubSpot is very well known for their academy and their resources. They have like tons of blogs and, you know, any type of resources that you want. <laughs> I was using their free resources to, you know, sell myself. You know, when you call imposter syndrome, this was imposter syndrome to mega self. Okay. Because here I am pretending that I'm the marketer and I am using HubSpot resources to sell myself within that company. And eventually, you know, I really fell in love with the platform. But my trick really was that I started doing their certifications. You know, in the academy, you can do their certifications. And I started putting them on my LinkedIn. And companies who had the platform started contacting me like, would you come and help me set up my platform? I don't know what to do. Now, Chike, understand this. I had not a clue how to set up HubSpot, okay? All I knew was I did a certification and I put it on LinkedIn. But the good thing HubSpot has after their platform is customer support. So I was literally calling HubSpot support and letting them walk me through every step of what I needed to do for these platforms. And this is how my whole career started, you know, and I I worked with an agency, a couple of agencies first, you know, to see what it's like and what, you know, the job entailed. And after I learned from them, this is when I started my own agency in 2016, I began, yes. Right. So tell us the tell us the name. Tell the tell the listeners the name of your agency. Oh, it's Cacao Media. And I chose Cacao particularly because, you know, as marketers, we're all into branding, right? So I had two things about choosing the name. First it represented me because I look like Coco, right? <laughs> you know, the black woman in the you know, I read this book called Black Faces and White Spaces. This is right. exactly me, right? So every office I go into, I stand out. So I said, you know, why not have my name stand mm-hmm. out so and represent me as well? <laughs> 
And nice. also because I wanted yellow as a brand and you know there's some shades in coco cocoa that have yellow. So I really liked those two combinations. Yeah, well I like I like to see, you know, the name that sort of is wrapping for for where you're from in a in a cool and, and interesting way. So so how big is the company um now and uh, you know tell us a little bit more about your role there. Yeah, so we have 20 people, 20 full-time employees and we are expanding even more. So by the end of this year, I should reach to about 25 to 27 employees. Um we do as I said because we serve hotspot clients in Israel, but we do, we have expanded now into different regions. So part of my employees sit in Kenya, some of them sit in Trinidad, um, some sit in New York, and the most of them sit, of course, in Israel. So my plan is to actually branch off in each of these regions. I have offices in Kenya, but I do want to build offices in other um, regions as well, because it's a big part of my passion. You know, my, my mission statement says, connecting talent to opportunity. So this is one of the reasons I really started my agency because I realize when I go to these offices and I do these projects for startups I don't see people that look like me and it's not that we are not smart it's just that we don't get the opportunity to work with these types of companies so I'm very you know purposeful in the types of people I build my company with because eventually my goal is to give them the opportunity to work with some of these amazing startups that as you mentioned come out of Israel yeah, so it's okay. So let's hear that again. It's is it it's connecting talent to opportunity is the yes. is the is the and purpose. Well that's that's super cool because you know, one of the themes of this season two um of the podcast, um, you know, I really wanted to explore themes around, you know, three Ps, um, and not the not the not the four Ps that us marketers all have to learn, um, but but three different ones. So purpose, perseverance, and pivots, mm-hmm. um, which I felt like were you know really interesting areas to get into so so what is that that purpose that mission that you just talked about kind of connecting talent opportunity what does that mean to you what what drives that why is that important to you yeah that's a really good question JK. and the reason really was um you know being in israel first of all if you know the history of israel of course, it's mostly built by immigrants, but it's built by Jewish immigrants. And Israel is a country that makes no exception or makes no excuse to let you know that it's a Jewish state before anything else. So they are very exclusive of people who don't look like them or who don't share their same values. Now, there are half a million Ethiopians who live in Israel. So you would think that Israelis are accustomed to black people, but unfortunately they're not. You know, and my first husband, he was what they call Ashkenazi, which means his roots came from Poland. He, his mother was a um, Holocaust survivor and his roots are all from Europe and Poland. So those, that sector of Israelis are what you would like to say racist almost. Sometimes I ask him, how did he even choose me? Because when his mother first met me, she was, she had always shocked because she's never been that close to a black person. So in Israel, there's a, a very divisive um, attitude to how they treat black people because they generally, and it's not, you know, sometimes I try to akin it to American and how you guys go through some of the racism there. It's not that blatant, but it's a more of an unknowing because they just have no relationship and they're so much trying to protect their own and protect this whole Jewish identity still that they feel as if they include someone else, they would exclude others. So right. when I came to this country, of course, there are three Trinidadians who live in Israel, okay? So we are like the minority. 
And of course, when I walk the streets, you know, people will see me and they think I'm Ethiopian. Even the Ethiopians think I'm Ethiopian. So they speak to me in Amharic and I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't understand you. And they, you know, they're like, why, why are you denying your heritage? But I genuinely don't understand them. And Israelis have the same attitude. So as you know, as I said, you know, I'm working with high tech companies and working with startups and I would go to some of these offices and people would say to me, oh, are you here to clean the offices? Or, you know, I'll be walking in my neighborhood and they will say things like, are you a metapilot? Meaning that am I taking care of elderly people or could I come and clean their houses? And at first I used to take that like really bad. I used to be like, why is it that you think I am your cleaner? What, what about me makes you think I'm your cleaner? And I'm, and I'm well dressed. Yeah. But the point is, this is the kind of experience Israelis had with black people because As you may have heard over the news, there are a lot of um, refugees coming in from Africa. So from Eritrea and Sudan, those people walk from Sudan or Eritrea into Israel, okay? And this is the experience that they have. So they often look at every Black person and think, okay, this is the level you are at. So after going through those experiences, Chike, honestly, and I had to find a way to, you know, elevate myself and not take it personally, because, you know, I saw... Even when I explained who I was, you know, their attitudes would change. But I'm saying for how many people coming behind me would have to experience this, you know, especially because I have kids. And, you know, even though our kids are mixed, they're still black. They're still considered black. And I don't want my daughter or my son to have that same experience. So I felt it was needed for me to kind of educate Israelis, if you will, in a certain way, you know. So my agency and the work that I do and all the exposure that I do is simply giving them that perspective that not all black people are at the bottom of the you know food chain. You know, we could actually be on the same level as you. So this is how that whole thing started. But I must add here to that, you know, a couple of years ago, there were a group of um, young ladies from Kenya who were studying in Israel and I had the pleasure of meeting them. And they were doing their masters in agriculture and something else like this. And They were from Kenya and they were very, very brilliant ladies. And then they went back to Kenya and they could not find jobs and stuff, but they were starting to do things online that I was noticing. They were hosting a YouTube video and stuff. And I said to them, you know what, come and work with me. Come and let me teach you more about marketing. And that's how that whole kind of vision and purpose kind of evolved because they sort of, you know, propelled me in that direction. Yeah. Well, you know, that that's interesting because I saw that you had you know either presence or employees in Nairobi and I was like wow you know I wonder I, I was really curious to hear how that how that came about so it's actually um, really cool that it, it 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 clearly was a very organic thing uh, which is really interesting yeah I, um, at Cribbin Ideas we struggled for for years with you know looking at other companies jump out and say yeah okay they're go the you know put put people in Jamaica and you know we were sort of taking this much more cautious you know okay we're gonna win in this area and then kind of slowly go and yeah so it's kind of cool to just kind of go after it what have you found in in expanding you know internationally in in some respects both in terms of having um you know team members and employees in different places and and are you actually kind of trying to to generate new business in 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 kenya already as well yes exactly so this was the exact purpose of opening the office in kenya because again you know Part of my business is always trying to give back and trying to help, you know, and it was Kenya or the Caribbean. But for me, Trinidad was still harder to break into. So Kenya was easier, believe it or not. 
And why was Kenya easier? It was simply because, you know, Africa is another targeted region in terms of development. There are often talks about startups and different companies, you know, trying to reach the world. And I thought it would be a little bit easier to convince them to get into the new digital world of um you know, marketing and things like this, you know, because pre-COVID, before, you know, COVID-19 appeared, people were not very receptive about just going digital. They did have their, you know, um, views about it. They didn't have their hesitancy. So they weren't just jumping into that ship. But I did meet a couple of Kenyan companies. And also because I had a relationship with some of the ambassadors here from Africa, here in Israel, I saw what the governments were trying to do to bring those countries to different levels, you know. So this also kind of propelled my decision because I saw the support that the governments were willing to give to startups and to companies that were willing to expose and to expand internationally. So this was my reason. I've had a couple interested companies in out of Kenya already and some customers. And it no, it, the, the sales process is a bit different, mind you. It's a bit longer than expected because... There's so much bureaucracy, you know, African, us African people, we like to cross every T and dot every I where the Israelis are looking for the cut shortcut. So everything is a little faster with them. But in the end, you know, it, it's it's happening. And, you know, HubSpot is now planning to expand more significantly in Africa. So that has also helped me position myself, you know, very neatly there so I can support that expansion as well. Well, look at that. So as a as a good marketer, you have um, said a very important word in the marketing uh, landscape, which is positioning. So I will use that opportunity to to go in a different direction. And, you know, I, I so I see that you have a love of yellow. Um <laughs> some of the things that you've done to, to brand uh, and position yourself because it's interesting you know as you said you are you know a, a black woman in in Israel so you're already standing out so so you've had to you know but you've also found other ways to build and kind of position your brand and so on so I need to talk a little bit about some of those things and wh why you made some of those choices yeah for sure so yellow first of all was a color I thought no one could miss right you know I I literally used to dress in yellow for every public presentation or every meeting I went to because if they forgot that I was black, they would not they would not forget I came in yellow. Right? <laughs> so this is mostly it in the beginning because as you said, you know, even though I would stand out, I just think I needed another secondary layer that would help my brand propel forward. So this was really the reasons of choosing it. Um, you know, also as I spoke earlier about, you know, the whole racism sort of stuff i wanted to kind of deflect from that so i didn't want to be the black hubspot person you know i wanted to say have give them the opportunity to say something else about me so they can call me the girl in yellow right now they call me the hubspot girl in israel you know all these other you know adjectives they can use to describe me was a little bit more welcoming so it was another reason why I chose to have a color that was quite outstanding. Yeah, that's 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 cool. I, I, I love that because you you know you as you said you you didn't want to necessarily be solely defined by you know as by race or or anything. It's kind of like when you um you know when when you have young kids and you say okay well describe the person you know and and you realize that over over time as we become adults. Sometimes we kind of just default to these sort of simple, oh, yeah, well, it's the, you know, the black person, the Indian person, this, that, that kind of thing. Exactly. And people can be much more nuanced and expressive in their in their association. So I think that's really cool. Um, you know, one of the areas that 
Yeah, I always think it's important for other, um, you know, people who want to create anything. It doesn't have to be a, an entrepreneurial venture, just where you want to create, you want to build something, is that a lot of the times, you know, it doesn't go according to plan. Um, and that's where the perseverance is necessary. So you've sort of alluded to some of the challenges, um, certainly, you know, around, you know, race and and, and, and others. Um, but, you know, from a business standpoint, we'll go there and I'm sure we'll touch on, on all. But, um, but from a business standpoint, what were things that you thought could go a certain way that you had a plan for on your entrepreneurial journey and you know there was a, a a big hurdle that you didn't anticipate so let's 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 get a couple examples oh well come on JK. let's look at where i am right there's so many things i can start with but i'll start with two main things first of all the language barrier it was a big obstacle for me i still do not speak hebrew fluently you know i understand hebrew sufficiently but israel is a country where you know, most people can understand English, but they prefer to speak in their language, in their mother tongue, which is Hebrew. So overcoming that was a challenge in the beginning because I would go to business meetings and everyone would talk in Hebrew around you, you know, and you wouldn't understand what they're saying. And Israelis are, could be sometimes, let's call it that rude, you know, usually if you have someone in your presence who doesn't speak your language, you would convert to English or to the language they can understand, but they wouldn't be like that. They would even talk among themselves in front of you, but in Hebrew. So. The thing is, you know, having a business in that aspect to help me um, navigate those types of conversations was difficult, but more so was also establishing the administrative side of my business. I mean, literally in the first years of my business, I was bleeding cash, GK, because I didn't understand the rules in this government. The IRS just loved me because I was just paying them whatever they asked. You know, all any bills that I had to pay, I was just giving my credit card. I was just like, take, take, take. I was not checking anything because... I just didn't understand the loopholes and I didn't understand all the documents they were giving me. So this was one hurdle I had to come, come over. And how did I overcome that hurdle was to hire a CEO. So this is why I'm not the CEO of my business. I actually hired someone else to take that role. And their role is to handle mostly the financial parts of my business, as well as the human resources part. Because, you know, as you know, for every good business person, you can't work in your business and on your business, right? So you do need to decide where you want to be. And I prefer to work in my business. I love executing the strategies and working with the clients, but I hate the financial side and having Hebrew as another blockage was just too much. So bringing in a CEO was something that helped me overcome that. Um, the second one I would like to talk a bit about was probably, you know, what I would call negotiation skills for now, right? So this is the Middle East, okay? This is not Trinidad and Tobago. There are no you know, politeness here. There's no, you know, let's go through things in an orderly fashion. There is, okay, your price is this X, I want Y, and we won't leave until I get Z. Okay. So ah. it's a whole different ball game <laughs> again, when you're dealing with, you know, negotiations. And I am like, as I told you, I come from a nonprofit background. I want to give everything away and I want to make people happy. So I suffer from two things. I am a woman. I want to keep people happy. So I would give away my services for free before negotiating and charging what I deserve, right? So again, how did I overcome this? Was using my CEO. So he was Israeli. He was a man. He was able to go in there and negotiate man-to-man -man with them. And that helped. I mean, now I've read and trained myself to negotiate a bit better. So I can handle some negotiations. But still, Israel is a very chauvinistic country. So sometimes you go into a meeting and men are there and they don't want to talk to you as a woman. 
So they will talk over you or they won't even look in your direction. So I would, you know, take my CEO. He would handle all of the um, negotiations. They will talk directly to him. Mind you, he has no clue about marketing, okay? He has no clue about what, what I do. But at the end of the day, his negotiation skills are so skilled that he can close the deal, get what he thinks we deserve. And after that, I take over the, um, the whole interaction with the company. You go, yeah, it's funny because you, you mentioned, um, uh, you know, that my dad taught you. And, and one of the things, or many things that he would have taught me before he passed away some years ago. But one of the things that he always said to, to me um, on, on my entrepreneurial journey uh, and he knew me well, so he would so probably a reason why he would say, say, you know, but you say so you have to know yourself. You have to know, you know, know your strengths and know your weaknesses and mm-hmm. be pretty systematic about um, solving them. And, and one of the one of those areas that he was generally like nudging towards is that, yeah, I like the sales and I like the, you know, the, the, the marketing and the, the forecasting and the strategy and the planning. But, you know, don't don't neglect the operations. Um, and and then that took a while to really embrace that part. And now I now I actually enjoy doing the spreadsheets and getting into some of the weeds, but also having to understand that, you know, shore yourself up in the area. You know, you can't be good at everything. Nobody can be good at everything. So I love that you found some ways and creative ways, both in particular, as you said, the the administrative side is a side that catches many, um, you know, entrepreneurs or even large companies, um, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it can create problems if you don't really tackle it. So I love that you, um, you know, had to, to go through a learning curve there and then find ways. And then, you know, on, on the other side, it's interesting because, you know, you know, it's, it, sometimes when I've done interviews with, um, you know, with, with podcast guests who are, who are women and their leaders, you know, sometimes I'll ask, and, and it's been interesting to hear the range of answers. I've had some say, hey, you know what? No, I, I've had no, you know, particular or special challenges um, being a woman or, or I have not let myself have them. Others have kind of touched on them more. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's also, of course, you know, a little bit sad that you've had to, had to get as creative as you've had to. Um, but I also applaud you sort of stepping back and looking at the problem critically and saying, you know what? Yeah, I can do this in a different way. So, so I give you some props for, for, for tackling it in, in that way and finding a way to do that. Um, yeah, you know, because I honestly think one of the things, one of these skills, even one of your last podcast guests actually alluded to it, to be an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur, you really have to have humility and you really have to understand, you know, like one of my friends the other day said to me, how could you give up the title of CEO to someone else? Doesn't it like, don't you want to have that um, accolade to your name? Don't you want to be the one to say that you are this? And I'm like, but I do get my accolades, you know, because at the end of the day, I am still the face of the agency. You know, clients still end up when they work with me, they, you know, convert and they like me and they understand, you know, okay, she's the brain behind the operations. But in the beginning, I'm very happy to like give away that. In the first two years, especially, I was happy to keep at the back front because it was important for me to be able to build that whole um, persona for my agency. Because again, these are Israelis and these are Jewish people. It's not easy to get into that cult. They don't, they, they generally will support their own first. So for me to break into this market, I had to prove myself, but I had to show them that I had people on my team that looked like them and was like them. So it, mean, it meant in the beginning for me to take that step back. But today I'm the forefront. Today people call me, 
you know, first, you know, my CEO doesn't have such an active role anymore in closing sales. I get to do most of it now. But the point is, it would it took some time for the market to get accustomed to me first. And then, you know, for me to build my name to that extent that they feel, they feel comfortable knowing that they're working with me directly now. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sarisa, do you have, um, I'm always curious about how people, you know, get better. Um, I think, you know, I am um, I'm certainly a better entrepreneur now than I was when I when I started out and you know tried to be a better you know leader or better marketer now I think I tried to go deep okay well how how do you build better agencies use the use the internet right um, and, and and get those internet degrees um, but how do you sharpen the saw um, and get better both in areas that you have natural strength in as well as in some of the areas that you that you recognize that you needed to get better in well, Chiki, I think I have a lot in common with you in that regard, because I've listened to you, you know, called out all these books and stuff that you've read, and I've been reading the same, listening to the same podcast. So this is my key as well, you know, and this is something I even try to impart to my team. You know, I listen to every single thing. Podcasts are my favorite time of the day, because every dead time I have, I'm listening to a podcast or listening to an audiobook. whether I'm washing the dishes, cooking, cleaning my house. I don't listen to music anymore. I only listen to music when my daughter's in the car because she's like, mommy, this podcast is boring. Can you turn it off? So then she wants the music. So I'm like, okay, fine. I can give you that. But generally, nothing makes me happier than when I'm stuck in traffic and I get to listen to my book or my podcast. So I do dive into a lot. I love listening and reading autobiographies of people because when you read the stories of people's success, like I read, you know, Shoe Dog with um, this guy from Nike. When I read, you know, even Oprah's book, you know, What Matters, I read, you know, everything I could get my hand on about anyone, I pick it up and I devour it because it teaches you so much about their journey, what they had to overcome, um, things that they were able to do. And I can, you know, again, you won't try to do everything like them because you're not them and their experience is unique, but you will always learn one or two things that you can say, oh, interesting. Or, oh, I'm not the only one facing this sort of thing, you know, because sometimes as entrepreneurs, it can be a lonely road because usually the people around you don't get what you're doing. You know, my parents still ask me, how do you make money, Risa? What do you do? They're still worried about me. They're still like, don't you want to come back home? Because they don't get, you know, what you're doing. So I know I have to, you know, look outside of my immediate circle to get the inspiration I need to be an entrepreneur today. So this is it. This is my secret sauce. I literally read and devour everything I can find about people. Even when I watch Netflix, I'm watching a documentary. So... (laughs) That's powerful. That's powerful. It's it's a. I think it's an important. It's an important thing. You know, you either try to absorb as much as you can. I think one of my guests recently talked about. Yeah, you know, don't make mistakes that you don't necessarily need to need to make because somebody else has shared what they've done and and that sort of thing. Um, is is mentorship a easy thing for you to access from from you know where you are? I would imagine that as you said, there are not a lot of black or Caribbean um, you know female uh, leaders that you can easily tap into in in Israel. Is that something that you've um, accessed from from elsewhere? Well, honestly, I I can't really call them mentors specifically, but I do pay coaches, for instance. So I do 
hire coaches to work with me. I look for coaches who, as you just mentioned, went through the same process you did or did something before you that you're trying to achieve. So this is how I generally work. Um, I do have a couple of close friends who are also on an entrepreneurial journey. You know, like, you know, I have a good friend back in Trinidad, Rory Branford, who is built an in- very interesting business. So for me, I use those types of scenarios to get inspiration or get encouragement sometimes. Sometimes we just need somebody else to say to us, no worry, girl, I understand what you're going through and that's enough. So this is what I generally use. I don't have my indirect mentors are the books I read because then I look at this, you know, like sometimes like Oprah is one of my favorite personalities and why it is I love Oprah is basically because I saw her journey almost similar as mine because she always talks about only being, being the only black person in a room you know, always having to negotiate with white men, always somebody telling her what she needs to do. And that's how I feel oftentimes. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm surrounded by all these white men all the time, you know? So this is how I just generally get my mentorship. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's, it's funny, you said something almost like word for word um, uh, that Ron Johnson, one of the other guests uh, this season talked about in this interview. He's like, yeah, I have tons of mentors. They're like, they're the author of this book, the author of that book. And it's powerful. And, and it's really, uh, it's really an amazing thing when you can, when you can embrace that. So I want to kind of go back to, you know, the conversation we were having about your, you know, having people in different places and, and, and what you're starting to do. And I want to kind of tap into that. So, so what, what's, what's the, what's the big goal? What's the, what's the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal? Where do you, where do you think or hope or secretly dream that you could, you know, take your company? So this is the first time I'm going to say this big, hairy goal out loud, because I have not shared this with anyone publicly before. But honestly, deep down in my heart, what I would love to become is, let's call it the McCann Erickson of digital agencies or the Ogilvy of digital agencies. And what that means is simply that I want to be able to franchise my agency eventually. I want to be able to give people the opportunity to really build their own businesses, but build it successfully, as you said, from day one. So one of the things I'm dedicated to doing in 2021 is building systems and processes within my agency from A to Z so I can replicate that and I can help other agencies succeed faster than I did. And I'm also focusing on building those franchises in countries that don't expect because I'm not aiming for the US of A and, you know, the typical countries, but I want to build that in Africa. I want to build that in the Caribbean and Latin America, you know, the countries that because agency life, as you know, first of all, Chiki, is that. It's a very easy business to start, right? All you need is an internet and a laptop, literally, okay? But most people, that's why there's so many agencies that exist because most people started it, but they didn't really understand what it took to make it successful. You know, I'm a diamond partner in HubSpot today and that happened over three years. And everybody around me is like, what? There are 31 other HubSpot partners in Israel. And in three years, I became number two in the market. So they're like, how did you do it, Risa? What did you do? And my point is exactly this. If I can bottle what my success was like and my processes and sell that to other agencies to help them replicate that, this is my goal because it will give people the opportunity to create their own income, create their own wealth and make those people successful in their own countries as well. Yeah. Talk a little bit about flying a flag for you know, the Caribbean culture and place that you grew up in. Then, as you said, as a woman, then as a as a black woman, you know, there's a lot of um, you know pressure that 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 one could feel 
from from being you know someone in that position is that is that something that you sort of like deal with as either as either an energy boost or or maybe as a little bit of a a, a burden how do you feel about that you know you know potential responsibility i guess to to create and drive or change and shift perception yeah well, you know, interesting enough, most of it comes from the Israeli market. I honestly have a lot of Israelis who would look at me and approach me and be like, how did you become so successful in Israel? And I'm like, but you're Israeli, you speak Hebrew, you're Jewish. So this should be easy for you. You have all the three marks that I don't have, right? So, but I do tend to understand that, you know, it's also about the person's personality and their drive to really be ambitious. You know. When your back is against the wall, when you don't have anything to lose, then you will do everything, right? And this is how I felt when I started my agency. I had recently gotten divorced and I felt like I did not want to hear another no because I used to go to a lot of job interviews. Even now I'm sitting in an office having this interview with you and companies would reject me and they would literally tell me, I can't hire you because you're black, you're non-Jewish, and you're a woman. That's too much for my organization to take. And I was like, and they will say in the same breath, you can do the job. I know you can do that job, but because of those three things, we can't hire you. Now those same companies, GK, they hire me to come in and deliver their services as a consultant, paying me twice as much, right? So when I got divorced, I felt like I did not want to be at the disposal of another company. I didn't want somebody else to dictate how am I going to have my life. So it was very important for me to create that level of um, income that I needed to sustain my life here because I could not just leave Israel after because I have a daughter who must serve the army. So I have to stay here for the next 20 years minimum. So my point is I have to create a life. And, and even for her, I have to let her feel that, look, your mother did it. You know, you're Israeli now, you're Jewish, you could do everything. So if I could have done it, you now have no excuse not to do it. So these are the things that were really my um kind of my propellants to keep me growing, maybe who I was. Yeah, well, you know, I think for the for the listeners out there, I mean, this is you know the one of the many types of reasons why um, you know I, I started this podcast initially as an experiment because I think it's really just powerful. There are just so many stories that um, you know people can take something from and draw some inspiration from. And and I mean, I'm here sitting listening, and you know, as you said, like LinkedIn pals, and I didn't know half of the half of the story, and it really adds an additional perspective for me, which is which is cool. And I'll I'll, I'll jump on another thing you said, which is the willingness to or maybe the unwillingness probably more accurately to, to, you know, you just don't want to take no for an answer um, because that is such a, a huge part of, you know, being in business or really just being successful. I, I, I um, have had folks say to me or my, my, my sales person say to me, you know, I'm getting tired of doing all these proposals. I'm like, everybody's saying no all the time. And, you know, and you just kind of have to, Say well, you're not. No, like I'm gonna prove them wrong. Um, you know, the 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 best in the world sometimes they they manufacture slights and build chips on their shoulders just to you know give themselves that extra motivation, which is which is really something you said that that resonates with me um, pretty powerfully. So so now as you you have that great goal, which which I love, and I thank you for sharing it with with uh, with with me and with us because I think it's great for people to hear that you know what you gotta set yourself 
big goals and big ambitions. And you said you're, you're, you're focusing on systems and processes and you've been, you know, kind of working with people in, in different markets. So, so that's kind of 2021. As you think about the, the, the steps to, to go to work back from a big goal to, to now, what, what's your way of approaching that generally? Are you sort of like, yeah, going to have that North Star and keep that front and center? Do you break it down for people into small goals? How do you get people sort of rallying around your your vision? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, it really starts from the little things, right? So I said that as my not even five-year goal. That's my three-year goal, Okay. By in three years, I expect to sell my first franchise of my agency. So that means, what do I need, as you said, to do that? I have to go back to the very beginning. And what is the most important thing to do that is that everybody, as you just mentioned, must understand clearly what is your mission and what is your vision. This must be rolling out of the tongues of people like easily because this is what helps a brand grow. This is what helps a brand succeed, right? If everybody is united in that same fashion. So one of the things I started doing, for instance, just this month, I would start by making my team understand what our revenue goal was. So I said to them, my, our revenue goal this month is 250,000 US. That's it. I don't care what you do. I don't care what your task you have on your plate. If it's not contributing to that 250,000 US dollars, stop it put it on the side and find something that's contributing to that. And by the 20th of January, we hit that goal. And why did we hit that goal? It was simply because everybody was rallied around it. Every weekly meeting, this was what I focused on. Now, I am not doing that exercise just for the revenue fact, but I'm doing it to start conditioning their minds to understand what is the one focus they need to be on. Because we, especially as agency owners and agency workers, we can get distracted by the simplest and smallest of things. There's so much little things and details we deal with every day. So how do you get someone really with blinded view and blinded vision on what you need them to accomplish is to start with these little things. So these are my tests for my team as I go along. And especially as my team is all over the world, it's very difficult to have that cohesiveness if we are all sitting in one place or even one country, right? So I have different personalities, different cultures, different everything to accommodate. But if I can find these common things that they can look at and say, okay, this is what Risa wants us to focus on. This is what Kakao Media is about. And as we go along this year, these are the different milestones I will build. And this, will what, this is what will help us to you know, achieve that. Love that. Love that. Well, as we wrap, I want to want to ask you, you know, for a, a parting shot of advice to to other people, as you said, kind of coming behind you. Think about those young women in in Nairobi or um, you know, or, or, or elsewhere. What's something that you'd say? Hey, look, you know what? If, if somebody else wanted to go on a journey, um, you know, entrepreneurial or, or or you know, otherwise, um, what are a couple of the things that you would you would pass along that they should keep in mind? You know, the most important thing I think is that if you really have a burning desire to become an entrepreneur, as we said earlier so many times, learn and read from others who have done it before. Okay, today in this world and this year that we're in 2021, nothing is new. There's somebody else who has gone before you. All you need to do is find that resource, find it even in a format that you prefer. You have so many choices today. So don't let that stop you from going after your dream. You could dream big, 
but also have a plan and look at those people who went before you and just execute. Love that. Well, you know, I want to thank you again for your time and for sharing, um, you know, all of these elements of your fascinating, really actually very fascinating story. I, I, I got a lot. I learned a lot from it. So, so Risa Gooding of Cacao Media in Israel, uh, representing the Caribbean flag and the Trinidad and Tobago flag in what is clearly um, a really excellent way. So Risa, thank you for the time. I really appreciate having you. Thank you, JK. It was great having you as well. Well, that was Risa Gooding, founder of Cacao Media, a leading advertising agency operating out of Israel. And I hope you learned like I did from her drive, her passion, and her willingness to create and build something bigger than herself. Make sure you know the next time an episode of Uptick drops by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, share Uptick with a friend. Now, on behalf of Caribbean Ideas, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up. <laughs>